RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. All right. Well, welcome to another edition of Closing the Distance, Roswell Presbyterian Church Closing Distance opportunity to kind of get in a little behind the scenes, get a closer understanding, better understanding of the sermon that was preached before. Jeff, uh, senior pastor, interviewed again yesterday was there was a lot going on yesterday. The behind the scenes look, some people don't even want to know the behind the scenes. But we'll, so we'll try and stick to the sermon as much as possible because there, there was a lot that was happening, but in the midst of all that, we finally, Jeff, I mean, two weeks ago, I interviewed you and in like Magnificat and I gave you a hard time because you were, you, there was no Magnificat. You were talking about her journey to see Elizabeth. And so finally, three weeks into a four week series, we actually read the Magnificat. We actually read her song. So well done for dragging that out. You know, the intro, the prelude was significant <laughs> two weeks of prelude yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but again you, you really good so again for listeners and that kind of stuff if you just kind of give us the foundation or, or an understanding what is the magnifica and and why it's important for you know in christian kind of theology and thinking and and why we highlight that at this time of year yeah, so Dan, it's um, the Magnificat uh, just is like Mary's song. It's the word that we use to refer to that she sings in response to hearing this news that she is with child. She travels to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, her cousin, blesses her, says, you're a woman blessed among uh, all women. And then Mary um, and then Mary sings a song in response. We get this word Magnificat from the Latin Magnifico. Um, which just means to glorify, to magnify, to praise, to extol. And so she's thanking God for what God has done. And I think um, it's fairly, this song is not just Mary's song, but it becomes our song. It's it's a song of praise that was probably used much later than when Mary uh, first found out she was pregnant, but uh, as as part of the liturgy and probably got formalized, you know, and became a part of the worshiping community in the early Christian church. Yeah, it is significant that we have these words, that we put these words in her mouth. Again, if we, your prelude was helpful in a whole lot of ways, because it talks about, okay, she receives this news, she's young, she's unmarried, you know, it's a different culture, different time. There's a whole lot going on. She's going to go be, (laughs) have communion. I'm going to go to my cousin's house. She'll know what to do. And so, uh, you know, she walks into her cousin's house, Elizabeth, who's, again, miraculously pregnant as well, 
And Elizabeth's response to her is, oh my goodness, the baby in my womb leapt because the Savior entered the room when you entered the room in your womb. And so there's this, and then we have this song that, uh, that Mary sings. And so uh, from your message yesterday, I, I really enjoyed your kind of connection with lyrics. You know, I, I'm someone who, I, I don't have the, the vast brain for lyrics that you do, but I, I enjoy a good song. And, you know, people like Taylor Swift or Paul McCartney or all these people who are good lyricists, like, where the heck did they come up with these things? Like, how did they think about these things? And so to see it, the way it's written chronologically in scriptures, you're like, Elizabeth says this, and then Mary just comes out with this beautiful song. Mm-hmm. But you tied it really well into saying, well, yeah, but there was a whole lot to that. Like, she was, she was drawing from her past and the past of her people, particularly, and you highlighted Hannah and Leah. So mm-hmm. again, tell us a little bit about that. In, in terms of how you made that connection from Hannah and Leah to Mary. Yeah. So um, I, I really like, like you're just saying, I love lyrics. And so I like investigating. And so I thought, you know, I thought to myself, so what if we look at this as uh, like lyrics to a song? Like if, you know, it was uh, Taylor Swift wrote it, you know, or, or Dylan or whoever. Um, and, and kind of investigated that way. And what I discovered through my research is that she basically quotes, I mean, almost verbatim from um, Hannah's song from 1 Samuel chapter two, and then Leah's uh, song or prayer um, in Genesis 29. And, and Leah, I didn't get into it, but Leah's, she has like three or four sons. And after each one, she kind of has this, it like roof, the same refrain, right? So the biblical writer is collapsing, you know, years into like five verses. And so she has a son. She sings praise. She has another son. She sings praise. She has another son. She sings praise. Um, But I just kind of consolidated it down to one because I really, my point wasn't to get into Leah, but it was to focus in on Mary and how Mary was drawing inspiration from the past. And something interesting that I thought um, that might be interesting to folks is, you know, our, so our Hebrew Bible that we read, the Old Testament, is written in Hebrew. It's translated to English. Okay? Our New Testament is translated from Greek into English. Okay? Well, the biblical writers, so Jesus, Paul, the, er, the folks who were living at the time of the New Testament didn't have access to the Hebrew Bible. They had right. access to what's called the Septuagint, Septuagint. Um, which is the Greek translation of um old testament and so that's and so then they draw on from mary's um and i couldn't get into this yesterday but this is why there it wasn't like a one-to-one match with the hebrew because they didn't have mary's hebrew or uh leah or hannah's hebrew words they had the greek translation and so then they take the greek translation and use that um in mary's song but then when you go back to compare because we now have the bible in hebrew the old testament we can compare Mary's song with Lee and Hannah's and it's a little different. So I kind of had to elide the differences because I think it's the same thing, but it just in our um, English translations. So for instance, it's like, it's like, um, you know, it's like if, you know, Taylor Swift reads a, like a, 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 like a, a a Spanish song by bad bunny, you know, and then, and then uh, translate and then, 
you know, kind of translates it into English. It's still referring to his song, right. but it's adapting. And that's just kind of the complexities of when you're dealing with three or four different languages over thousands of years, how translation works. And, but I think it's interesting and people might be interested in that. Yeah. So again, a bit of backstory to explain that to people. The reason that the Old Testament in biblical times or New Testament times was in Greek, because that was the trade language. That was the English of that day, because everybody spoke it. They might've had, like, they also spoke Aramaic, you know, uh, Jesus spoke Aramaic, Mary likely did, all those people, but the universal language, much like English is today worldwide, was Greek. And so for Jews who were almost universally Greek speaking, they translated the Bible from the Masoretic text, from the Hebrew into Greek, so the people could read it and understand it. Right. So, and that's, and so what we're getting again is that double translation. We know anytime you're using going from one language to the next there's always some you know some stretching some massaging that needs to be done and that's what you're talking about here so yeah yeah so i i think it's interesting that you tied leah and hannah to mary i i see the links but they're also three very different people so leah um it you know is a wife is uh, jacob's wife and feels unloved in a whole lot of ways. Like I, you know, I was his second choice. Actually, I wasn't his choice at all. My dad tricked him into marrying me, but I'm going to give him more children than, than Rachel is, even though he loves her more. So she's a little bitter and twisted and whatever, but continues to have kids. And then Hannah, of course, is barren and is grieving for not being able to, to produce a child. So these are two very different experiences. And then we have young Mary, who, I mean, we used the word in our, our confession yesterday, there's kind of a pregnancy is foisted upon her, right? It's just like, you're going to be pregnant. And she's like, how, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just very different kind of context and things happening in their lives. And yet their response in many ways was similar. So, I mean, Talk about that a little bit. Why is it important, do you think, to kind of link Mary in particular to these two women who had different experiences? But like you said, you talked about um, you had that quote from Mark Twain, like it doesn't repeat itself, but it there's it rhymes. So is that what you saw there in those three women? That's kind of a rhyming, different context, different time, different era. But the response was similar. Yeah, and I think I think that um, we don't need. Rarely does somebody else's life repeat our life, right? It's it's different. And we overlap in some ways. You know, Dan, you've got kids. I've got kids, but you don't have hair. I have a little hair. I'm getting less hair. I'm coming your way. Um, you know, you like to read. I like to read but you like to read different, you, I like Springsteen, you like Bruce Coburn, you know, like, right. and so there's these similarities and differences, but I think one of the cool things is just, just because Mary was different than Leah and had a different situation or different than Hannah, she could still take inspiration from their experience and, uh, and find it infusing and um, inspiring her, offering her uh, spiritual sustenance and food and nourishment for her own kind of predicament that God may be working differently in her life, in her context or situation than in Leon and Hannah's, but that God is still working. Yeah. 
yeah. that's one of the reasons I am um, at the very end of the sermon, I kind of, I pivoted and went, you know, a couple thousand years later to Bach, right? Ah. And, and him being looking, I mean, he's a man living in the 18th century. Yet he, he looks to these women, okay, to Mary and to Leah and to Hannah behind Mary and finds inspiration for his own life to, to feel blessed and to learn and to feel inspired. And then to use that writing his own Magnificat blessing others. And I yeah. love that, right? That like, just cause I'm a man, you know, living in 2022 doesn't mean I can't read a woman um, in the first century and Mary's song go, wow, God's going to work in my life, but in different ways, but I can still find, a direction and nourishment and inspiration from, from learning from her. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately the universality of the scriptures is not so much the specific events, but the human experience and, and God kind of being woven throughout that human experience. And yes, every, every instance and every individual has unique experience of God, but there's so much that overlaps. And so you're right. I, I was going to come to that. Like, the way that you kind of linked, I'm just kind of reminding you of your own sermon since you, you were kind of largely present, but not present. Um, so the way that you kind of made that leap from Mary and why Bach chose to use her as a person for one of his early works as, you know, in this new role as uh, in the in the church. Um, so I talked a little bit about his role, again, just to refresh people's memories on kind of his story, because it's a fascinating story, particularly to think like he was there, you know, oh, well, I guess we'll just have to take Bach. <laughs> no, no. Well, and a lot of, you know, um, I found this great book in my preparation where I learned a lot about, because I, I didn't come in knowing a lot about Bach, although I just know his Magnificat is a significant contribution to music. And I found a great book about Martin Luther and Johann Sebastian Bach um, and them drawing from the Magnificat. I learned a lot of this stuff that I didn't know. And uh, one of the interesting things I thought is he was a, court, a royal court musician in two different courts. And basically he applies for this job as a church cantor. And it's kind of a demotion in terms of cultural prestige uh, for the surrounding area. And, and, and the town council that, you know, is doing the hiring for the church, um, they offer the job to two candidates before they even get to Bach, right? Yeah. And, then, and then he gets it. It's the third, he's the third choice. He's not even the second choice. He's the third choice. And, you know, I had that town council, this quote from the town councilman who says, you know, uh, if we can't have the best, we might as well settle for average, <laughs> which cracks me up. And, um, and I think like, and then, like, one of the first compositions he writes in 1723 is the Magnificat. And I just wonder, like, now, he, I, I don't know his biography too much. Um, he didn't do a lot of writing outside of music um, and the lyrics of, that he offered within his songs. But I could imagine him being a little worried he wasn't qualified. Or maybe he was angry that he was the third choice. Right. You know, these guys went before me or whatever. But that he turns to the Magnificat and can find um, a blessing and an inspiration and then use that to bless others. Yeah. And as I, I mean, he was very convinced that we should make Mary's song our song and that we should sing it as if it's us. Yeah. Um, again, not that we're repeating Mary's life, but our lives rhyme in so many different ways. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. So Bach in many ways kind of says, I'll show you, <laughs> I'm going to be the most prolific, you know, writer yeah. in Western culture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And probably like really, I mean, as far as art, probably the most significant musical artist coming out of the Reformation traditions. So you think about yeah. Lutheranism, Calvinism, because um, Roman Catholicism has got a lot. I mean, visual art, right. um, you know, music, all this. And, and sometimes the Reformed tra tradition and Lutheranism, we've downplayed the visual arts and music sometimes. Um, and so Bach was this great, uh, great contribution to the Western tradition. Yeah. Good. So back to, to Mary and her song. I mean, what do you think is most significant for us in the words of her song, like her response to God, her response to Elizabeth um, you know, entering into that, that home? You know, what are we supposed to take from that and apply to our own context, our own setting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, let's be honest, like her experience, probably most of us not you know, we're not going to have a, we're not going to be a virgin and conceive, right? Uh, right. And, Especially and you and me. If you did, yeah, most people are not going to believe it. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think it's the attitude that she's taken like, okay, this is, this is like unexpected, unearned, and she sees it as a grace. And how is she going to, um, She's got to reconfigure her probably entire plans for her life, what it's going to look like. Um, but she sees it as a, she chooses to see it as a blessing and then uh, to live out of it. Um, and I think she, she, um, the song is a, it's a song, but it's also a prayer. And she right. takes whatever she's feeling, whatever she's experiencing to God. And I think a lot of folks, we're afraid that like, God can't handle um, how we feel or how we think, or maybe if we're angry or we're surprised or frustrated. Um, and I think a lot of people, they, 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 they think they need to be religiously pious in their prayers and therefore don't, they're not real people. I've heard I, one of my favorite writers on this says, um, oftentimes we send our avatar to pray to God. Huh, interesting. And I like that. Like there's this distance and we don't need, because what happens is if we fake it, we lie, we deceive ourselves, that those emotions, those feelings are going to come out in other ways. They're going to get sublimated. And so what we need is to be honest with God, whether that's anger, surprise, frustration, and that we find in our relationship, in our spiritual uh, friendship with God, we find those emotions transformed and changed over time. Sometimes it can be right away. Other times it takes years but it almost forms us as like a, a, a form of therapy uh, to transform the way we experience and inhabit our lives. Yeah. That's been my experience at least. Yeah. That's critical. And I, again, I, you're right. That, that, I've not heard that avatar quote before, but you think about the people in scripture and they're just raw and honest. It's not a polished document. Right. right. So, I mean, you read the Psalms crying out loud, David. David's pretty raw and just like, God, what the heck are you doing? Yep. Why is this happening to me? But continues to kind of conclude with, but I glorify you. You are sovereign. You are in control. And that's what Mary does. I mean, we think about how this experience turned her world upside down. I mean, I have a daughter. And if she came to me and said, Dad, I'm pregnant, 
and it was a miracle because, you know, I haven't slept with my boyfriend. I'd be like, okay, you know, we're, we need to have, you know, again, and the culture of the time, even the culture today, if that anything like that were to happen, it's kind of like you get the sidewards glance and all this stuff. And so she, it put her in a very difficult situation. Yeah. Right. Totally. And again, that's why she goes to see Elizabeth. Like, what do I do? What do I do now? Like I had this visit from this angel and this is happening. I've got this message, but it's all so confusing and, and what's happening. And her response to that is, okay, if this is what God is doing, I will magnify the Lord. You yep. know, but that doesn't mean that what she goes through is hunky dory. Like it's not, right. it's this, it, it doesn't end at the Magnificat and she just walks out and go, everything's cool. It wasn't, you know, she got the sideways glances from everyone in her community. Every, you know, she has to wrestle with the relationship she has with her future husband, Joseph, you know, all this kind of stuff. Her world is remains upside down. The response that she has in the midst of it is what's critical. And I think that's what you highlighted in, in the Magnificat. Yeah. I think that's really good, Dan. And, um, and I think uh, one of the things I wanted to say is, you know, when it comes to the virginal conception, you know, uh, you know, occasionally, you know, I, this happened more back, you know, when I was like in school and stuff, but, you know, you've been having, having drinks with somebody that I don't believe in the virginal conception. And I'd be like, well, okay, I, it's outlandish, but it, do we believe in miracles? Oh, they, they made me go, okay, maybe miracles. I'm like, okay, give me this presupposition. Do you grant this? That if the God who created the cosmos, do you think a virginal conception would be that difficult? Right? right. Like if if you if you grant to me that the God who created everything, being itself, wanted to enter into human reality, that like a virginal conception is a fairly like easy miracle on the like. Right compared to like creating DNA and the genetic code right. and the, the expanding cosmos. Right. And so I just, it always cracks me up when people have trouble with that. I'm like, well, do you have trouble that like the, the next moment is going to exist in the universe? Cause that's not for granted. We take right. it on faith. And David Hume teaches us that the only reason we believe that the next moment is going to exist is because the, the last few moments existed. It's not a habit. It's not logically necessary. And so with that, if you grant that, then the virginal conception, the, the incarnation, this great miracle is, is still a miracle, but right. it's plausible if you believe that the God who created everything is incarnated into human reality. Right. So that's yeah. what I'm, so I, I like, uh, you know, it's like when, with the resurrection to people, I don't believe in the resurrection. Well, you know, do you believe in the creation of everything? Do you, I mean, like, right. if, if you grant that somehow the reality, the, the one who created all things is involved in the incarnation and resurrection, it's not that, I mean, that's not. Right. You know? Right. It's not, a, that's not a big leap. That's not a challenge. Right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to take that, you might as well just take this. Cause this is, um, you know, this is small potatoes. Yeah, for sure. This was the easy bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, good. I mean, I, again, I, I think that's you, you did. You did great yesterday. There was a whole there was a whole lot. I, I was speaking to Scott uh, earlier and he's like, you know, that would have been good for for a, a Harvard 
chapel service. Like you took us on, on the road and there's a whole lot of information or backstory that we couldn't get. You didn't have time to give it. Plus you weren't feeling that great, but right. you don't have, you know, you've got your 19 minutes or, or Betsy gets angry. So, you know, you don't have a lot of time to kind of give us that backstory the way that this, yeah. this discussion actually helps. Cause it, it does help kind of connect and clarify things. That's good. Yeah. And I think even the other stanzas that I didn't cover, there are pre precedents. It's not as like, I don't think the stories are maybe as powerful as Leah and Hannah's, but there are like the language that Mary uses for God, a mighty God, right? Um, right. Uh, that language is uh, what the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That I didn't even cover, but there's way a right. ton of precedent in the Old Testament for that right. language to talk about God. And right. I think it's really important to, to know our history so that it can inform us for our future. So I'm really looking forward to this Sunday because Lindsay uh, Slocum is going to be preaching. And I'm interested to see like, you know, what, how is she, how is she going to like interpret this song in a very different way? Cause I'm sure yeah. for her, um, she comes to it at a very different uh, kind of vantage point than I do. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it as well. I guess that for me, the message of yesterday and leading into next week was that, you know, we, we need not neglect the past that that informs us and the experiences of other people and god uses those again for to get, provide us understanding to to shape our own story and so and that's, the, that's the way it happened with mary and so she was able to kind of accept what was going on because she understood the past and that's the beauty of scripture mm -hmm. and, absolutely you know, and that's why it's continue we continue to interpret and reinterpret because our own context is different and yet here these people very human figures who, I mean, they didn't have the technology. They weren't doing closing the distance, you know, on a Zoom link, but yet much of the human experience is identical, always mm -hmm. has been. And that's where we can learn and grow and understand the truth that comes through the scriptures. Really powerful. Absolutely. So you already kind of mentioned it. We got, you know, we got a heavy hitter coming to preach next week. We got Lindsay. Okay, what are you, what, what are you hoping to hear this week? You know, what are you excited about, you know, in her interpretation? Well, I always had to see just kind of how she reads the Magnificat. Because I, I honestly, I haven't talked to her much about it. So I don't know, you know, um, like, it, is she going to kind of like get, do kind of an, an exegesis of it? Is she going to do more of, um, this is how the song impacts me and my own life, autobiographical. I'm, I, I really don't know how she's going to attack it. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to hear it. Yeah. Because I think, like all music, it allows us to... Um, and all songs, they allow us to engage them on different levels. We can do it kind of intellectually. I want to analyze the words. You can do it the affect. I, I would just want to, I just want to let it envelop me. Um, I want to dance. You know, I want to cry. Uh, I want to be, have my emotions moved. Um, there's a lot of different ways that this music, the poetry, the art like this functions to impact and speak to us. And I'm excited for, to hear how it impacts her in her own unique way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she always brings it. She's a great communicator. And it, it's so. good. I think it's great that she's kind of concluding this series, really. You know, right. particularly as a woman who has some kind of identity with Mary and, and just the fact of, you know, the tumult of pregnancy and all that kind of stuff, which you and I have never really we've experienced it, but only from, you know, outside.
And so, yeah, that's I, true. it's going to be great. So anything else you want to share with us before we kind of conclude what else is happening? We know there's like 15 services on Christmas Eve. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for folks to know we have the three o'clock in the sanctuary. Happy birthday, Jesus. We have a five o'clock, seven o'clock, a seven thirty. You're going to do a ten o'clock outside. So bring yeah. if folks need to bring their uh, chairs and stuff. And then we're going to do a candlelight um, communion service at eleven in the sanctuary. They're all, right. all very different. Um, you know, I guess the five and the seven probably are the most similar. Um, but, you know, the 730 is in the gym and it's a modern service and it's going to be very interesting. So I, I think each one brings their own um, kind of unique perspective on uh, Christmas Eve. And then and then we're not going to have in-person worship on Christmas. We're going to do um, a virtual service like we did during quarantine so that people can participate in their own homes. They don't have to drive to the church, uh, battle traffic or anything like that and kind of do it. Um, at their own convenience and own leisure. So All right. I invite people to check that out and that'll be at roswellpress.org. Yeah. And then the following week is, is New Year's Day, January 1st. So again, we are having in-person worship, but one worship where we, again, people who are in town and, and not too tired from the night before can gather together, you know, in a combined service, which honestly, they're always my favorite because we kind of, we kind of, have very almost different churches in a lot of ways. And just the 930 crowd and the 11 crowd and the 1045 crowd. And this is one time we're all together in the same space. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize these people were part of our church. You know, right. you and I know because we go from all the services, but a lot of right. don't. So and Scott's preaching that day. So you know starting the year off with a bang. Get, yeah, we're get Weimer up there on January the first to to bring it. So we're excited great. about all that. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be really good. Well again, thank you again for yesterday and for powering through i particularly am thankful that you powered through because i was ready to pinch hit but jeepers it would not have been as as sharp and i don't know what we'd have done for closing the distance then because you would talk to yourself <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah I, I i spoke with Lindsay just a little while ago and i just said frankly i don't remember <laughs> i was like i have to go and look at my notes again because it was just a blur uh i was just trying to grin and bear it <laughs> So yeah. thank you for your support. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for this time, for, for giving us a little bit of understanding about what you were thinking and putting this together and, and for thinking about in advance this whole Magnificat and this sermon series, a perfect way to lead us into the Christmas season and give us understanding of, you know, another character in the story and what her experience was and how she saw God working through her. So thanks again, Jeff. Thanks, everybody, for being a part and listening. Thanks, Dan. I'll see you soon. All right. See you, Have a great week.